0: What up? Welcome to another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. I'm Patrick, flying solo. So, your Golden State Warriors, they took game one from the Memphis Grizzlies. And it was was an exhausting game. It was 117-116 in Memphis. The Warriors snagged home court advantage for now. And there was so much stuff that happened in that game that I had to take a break. Usually I record this podcast pretty soon after a game happens, but this was an early game, 12:30. It was emotionally taxing, you know, pretty exhausting, texting friends here and there about this that the other watching this game and you know, I needed to collect some thoughts. I don't even know where to begin to be honest, but that was one damn good game, plain and simple. You know what this game felt like to me? It actually felt a little bit like game five of the 2019 finals when Kevin Durant went out with the sworn Achilles because at that point, you were like, oh man, this team is, the Warriors are done, you know? They haven't been able to really beat the Toronto Raptors without KD and now that he's gone, it's like, how are they gonna win this game? And then the Warriors just played their game and they did. And that's what this felt like. It was like after Draymond went out, you know, you felt like, oh, that's it. You know, the Warriors don't play well without Draymond, but there was a whole half of basketball to play. And there was still a lot of veteran playoff championship experience on the bench in the locker room at halftime. And they pulled it out. They pulled it out. Obviously, what happened after Game 5 against the Raptors is not what I want to repeat, but it does have a little bit of that, holy crap, (laughs) I can't believe we just did that. You know, I can't believe the Warriors just won that game. Those are the breaks you need, those are the bounces you need, and uh, I'll absolutely 100% take it. Anyway, I'll start off with some of the things that I talked about in the previous episode in the Grizzlies Warriors preview, you know, can Jordan Poole continue his consistent play. Against Denver, he had three outstanding games from games 1 through 3, and then in games 4 and 5, he wasn't as sharp shooting wise, but he still was able to contribute. And my big question was like, is he going to be able to be that guy again from games 1, 2 and 3 in this series? The Warriors need him. To be that guy because he's such a threat and he changes the dynamics of the offense so much. And Poole was that guy, you know, he straight up was. He came off the bench. Steve Kerr decided to start Gary Payton the second, which I think was actually a really, really smart move. Either way, the Warriors were going to be a little small up front, but by starting Gary Payton the second on John Morant. And having Poole and Kevon Looney come off the bench, you're setting a defensive tone. You know, you're messing with John Morant's rhythm early. And yeah, he made a couple threes and he, you know, affected the game still. But it's good to have him out there and have John Morant feel that defensive pressure instead of him just going downhill at like Poole or Steph or even Clay. Jordan Poole played a whopping 38 minutes off the bench, was 12 for 20 from the field, 5 for 10 from three, hit both of his free throws, eight boards, nine assists, two blocks, 31 points plus 10 on the night. The dude almost had a triple-double, and he affected the game so much. He had big shot after big shot, whether it was a deep three-pointer or layups or whatever. So I think that was huge overall. And of course, Draymond got ejected and Kerr decided to start Poole in the second half. And I'll get to Draymond's ejection later, but that is huge that you can bring in Poole, right? Because although he is a completely different player from Draymond Green, in the past when Draymond was out, you'd have to maybe start Otto Porter Jr. or the 19-year-old, you know, Jonathan Kaminka, who obviously I'm a big fan of. But when you bring in Jordan Poole, Yes, you lose some stuff on defense and rebounding and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But Jordan Poole brings his own brand of playmaking and ball handling and shot making when Draymond's not in there. So they didn't really miss a beat in that respect on the offensive end. And at the beginning of the third quarter, it felt like the Warriors kind of lulled, methodically lulled the Memphis Grizzlies to sleep. You know, the Warriors ended up with like a, what, 10 point lead at some point. And I was like, dang, okay. And then you realize that this Warriors team, like they settled down, you know, after the hype of having Draymond ejected, it was like, yo, Steph, Clay, Steve Kerr, Andre Godala, who was in street clothes, but obviously had a big vocal influence on this team throughout the game. They settled down and they just executed and they continued to execute, regardless of what the situation presented them. I mean, it wasn't a perfect game by far, but you just have to admire the the grit. You know, to take the grit and grind label from the old school Mike Conley, Marcus All, Memphis Grizzlies. That's what the Warriors did. They just gritted and they grinded away <laughs> at this game, and. You know, a lot of people, I mean, myself included, after Draymond got ejected, I was like, oh, okay, all right. Jokingly, in my mind, I was like, you know what? They should just play, no disrespect, but they should just play like Damian Lee, and Anderson, like the end of their bench in a kind of silent protest of the rest of this game. But, you know, obviously, they did not do that, and that'd be stupid. But I don't have too many negative things to say about the Warriors because when their backs were against the wall they literally just like huddled up and each one of them who set foot on that court came out fighting, you know? Yeah, there were mistakes. Yeah, there were missed shots and turnovers and bad fouls. But once Draymond went out, they didn't quit. And that's something you have to admire because a younger team, like, you know, (laughs) the Minnesota Timberwolves, (laughs) who the Grizzlies just beat in six games, they might turn tail and just kind of wither away. But this Warriors team, like, We always talk about their championship DNA and not everybody has that experience, but you follow the leaders and that's what they did. I mean, Jordan Poole proved that he's just big time, right? Like you look at him and you look at John Moran you're like, oh man, these are the two best players from the 2019 NBA draft, right? (laughs) You can't talk about Zion Williamson right now, at least because that dude hasn't played in like 50 years. And right now Jordan Poole is playing a bigger part than Tyler Hero. So unless there's someone else I'm forgetting, I'm going to enjoy seeing these guys go back and forth. But the fact that Poole was able to play major minutes and not flinch and keep coming was very, very impressive to me. Because even when he didn't shoot well in games four and five against Denver, he kept that consistent effort. And throughout the season, it was about that consistent effort, right? When he went to the bench, once Clay came back to the court, he didn't give consistent effort. You know, he disappeared for stretches when he wasn't getting the playing time he wanted or his shot wasn't going down like the way it had been when he was in starting lineup. But now he is embracing this and he's hitting big shot after big shot. And it totally messed with the Grizzlies. You know, I talked about how this Grizzlies team, just like the previous Nuggets team, had not seen this version of the lineup with a healthy Steph, a healthy Clay, a healthy Draymond, and a more developed Jordan Poole. And we saw that today. again. By no means perfect. The Warriors, they looked from the outset like they were a little flat, a little rusty. You know, I was wondering, like, it's either the Warriors were going to be rusty or the Grizzlies were going to be tired, you know? Maybe it was a little bit of both at certain points, but the Warriors were just, like, fouling a lot in the first quarter. In the first half, they were getting out-rebounded. But then, again, they flipped the tables on that. Another question I had was whether or not Andrew Wiggins would be able to stand up to Some of the younger bigs on the Grizzlies, whether it's Jaron Jackson Jr. or Xavier Tillman or Brandon Clark or whomever. And at first, he seemed to have some problems, right? Like really getting physical. And my solution was like, you're going to have to bring in Kaminga. And we saw Kaminga in the first half. And he did do some of those things. but. Props to Wiggins, man. He just stepped up and really, really was active and battled in all those scrambles in the fourth quarter where there were loose balls all over the place. The Warriors did a great job, Wiggins included, of getting a hand on the ball, on rebounds, on offensive rebounds, and tipping it and at least fighting for something, making the Grizzlies have to work for those rebounds and giving. The other guys, basically gang rebounding, you know, and giving the other guys on the team chances at loose balls, at least 50-50 balls and everything. Wiggins, 34 minutes, 6 for 14, only 1 of 5 from 3, only 4 of 7 from the free throw line. But he hit his last two, which were big. I actually had to close my eyes for those because I was like, oh man, he's going to miss both these. But then I realized he hit both. And I was like, good on him. He had eight boards, one assist, and 17 points. That is the Andrew Wiggins that we need. Again, I keep saying we need average Andrew Wiggins. Not necessarily all-star Andrew Wiggins, though, I'll take it. But the fact that he was given effort at both ends of the court and he was battling for rebounds and hustling. I mean, Andrew Wiggins is not built like Harrison Barnes. He's not as big (laughs) as Kevin Durant. But he has to go in there when they're playing small, when they're starting Draymond at center and fight. And he's doing it, so that's all you can ask for. And then in terms of slowing John Morant down, you're not going to stop the guy. But like I said earlier, starting Gary Payton second was smart. I like that move from the outset. I was like, okay, there's no messing around. It's like we have Gary Payton on this roster for one main reason. Yes, he can do other things, but for one main reason – it's to guard these pesky, athletic, offensive shooting oriented point guards. So like you got him on the roster for this reason at the beginning of the season. So use him. So they put him on John Morant from the outset and he did did a solid job. They let John Morant shoot some open threes. He hit a few and then he kept shooting them and then he went cold. But you know, they did what they were supposed to do. John Morant had a good game. You know, he ended up shooting pretty well, 14 of 31, 34 points overall. So, you know, he had 10 boards and nine assists. That's, that's all right. You know, that's all right. The Warriors won the game eventually. But I like the idea that you put Gary Payton in there and just signal that we're going to come after you on the defensive end. And plus Gary Payton, 23 minutes, four of five from the field, didn't shoot any threes, had six boards, three assists. One block, one steal, eight points. Seriously. <laughs> a year ago, as the Warriors were fighting for a spot in the playing round and Gary Payne II was fighting for 10 day contracts, like who would have thunk it? You know, he's perfect for this team because he plays a specific role. He doesn't need to initiate on offense, <laughs> he doesn't need to create shots for himself or shoot 10 times a game. He needs to just be there and finish. And that dunk over Desmond Bain at the beginning of the game, that was awesome. Love seeing that. Love the fact that Gary Payton II, that his legs look good, you know, for a while during the second half season. He had a lot of ankle issues, shin issues, knee issues. But the fact that he's getting up and throwing down that hard, love to see it. And in a lot of ways, and other people have said this too, it's like Gary Payton feels a little bit like Dynasty Andre Iguodala, right? Maybe, definitely, actually, not the playmaking point guard stuff, but the defensive point of attack guy who can hit an open three and probably as well as Andre used to back then. And that's, that's a big deal, the fact that they can put him out there in those situations, plug and play, and he will play that role. And then when other teams ignore him, Steph... Cool, clay. They find him for the layup, for the dunk, for the wide open three that lately he's been hitting. So I will definitely roll with that dude. And then another question was Jonathan Kaminga. Like, would we see him? And I'd always said from the outset of the playoffs that we'd probably see him more in the Memphis Grizzlies series because of the youth athleticism size, especially playing small ball, physicality and all that. And he got out there and, you know, I liked what I saw from him. 15 minutes, two for three, hit both of his free throws, which was big because there was a stretch where Draymond and Andrew Wiggins in the first half were the only guys really shooting free throws. And I think they were like four for eight, which was kind of hurting them because they were trailing. But Camiga had six boards. One steal, one assist, six points, and that's totally fine. You know, that's fine. He was active under the basket, at the rim, fighting, you know, and whatever. And there was that one play at the end of the first half where John Morant hit the floater over Jonathan Kaminga, and he was like, he can't guard me. He can't guard me at him. But I'm like, stop that, man. Uh, We'll see how that matchup is like in a year or two. You know what I mean? Once Kamehameha has a little bit more experience, I'm sure he'll be able to guard him a lot better. Props to Kavon Looney. You know, he started the second half when Draymond was out and he played well. He was four for five. Clay did a good job finding him on drives and drop-offs and dump-offs. He had six boards and two assists, eight points. I mean, that's, that's found money from Kavon Looney. I love that. And then Steph didn't shoot the greatest. In 37 minutes, he shot eight for 20. Five for 12 from three, three or four from the line, missed another free throw, three boards, four assists, 24 points. But just seeing him out there along with Clay fighting, you know, scratching and clawing, you forget how much you missed seeing these dudes in the playoffs. I've talked about this before, and it's been three years, right? It's been a long three years. And part of me never thought I would see these dudes in meaningful games again. You know because there was always that question mark whether or not they would get healthy and the pieces that they put together around this team whether they would be good enough whether they were free agents or young draftees and stuff but we're seeing them in this moment and what i loved about this game too is that obviously the warriors have a history with the memphis grizzlies from back in the day in the early dynasty when the warriors would just break their hearts And I love the idea that they're still doing that. You know, it's just one game, one by one point, but man, all I wanted, all I said in the last episode in the preview was steal that first game. It wasn't what I expected. I expected either they can just catch a Grizzlies team that was a little tired or a little too used to the fumbling, bumbling Minnesota Timberwolves and then take that. But instead, they got a brawl. They got what we all think that the series is going to be. Back and forth, possession per possession, fight. And that's the character of this team. They have the ability to plug other guys in. I mean, that's the benefit. Honestly, I know they didn't play well without Draymond during the regular season, but they played three months without Draymond Green. So they know how to play without him. The results weren't always the best, but it's not like, oh, man, what do we do? Who does what? Because they have guys who have at least performed in those circumstances. And the fact that like their three guards are playing better. I mean, four guards, if you want to throw Gary Payton the second, right? Steph, Clay, Poole, Gary Payton the second, they were all playing very, very hard. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings same-game parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total made threes, total rebounds and more, and boom you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place the same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum agent eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Clay Thompson, 31 minutes, only six for 19, three for 10 from three. Missed those two free throws at the end. He had 15 points, three assists, two steals, only one rebound. But Clay Thompson, man, like when he went to the free throw line, I was a little worried. Like I know he's a great free throw shooter and I have absolute confidence in that. But just being in that pressure situation, I was worried if he would be a little amped up, you know, because when he got the ball and we got fouled, he held that ball for a while, you know. And also on replays, Steph and Jordan Poole weren't trying to get open for an outlet pass. Like Steph was just standing in the corner. And Jordan Poole was actually in the backcourt. And it wasn't until like right before Clay got fouled, he ran to the front court. So Clay did a good job holding on to that ball. But I was also like, oh man, get it to Poole or Steph. Because I was concerned that, you know, after two years, that Clay might be a little too hyped, a little too amped up in his feelings for this moment. And he was, (laughs) he missed both of those free throws badly online, but long. Once they left his hand, it was like, that's long, you know? And it just hit the back of the rim, the back iron. And both times the, the ball just hit and came out. And I was like, oh man, that's a terrible way to go out, you know? But, as I'm sure everybody saw, and everybody has talked about too, that final play where Clay picked up Jaw after Jaw got past Gary Payton, the final drive Clay solid defense, right John Morant post game press conference said that you know Clay didn't do anything really, but Clay forced John Morant to take a really bad angle. he forced him wide, and it was very similar to the winning layup he had. In one of the games, I believe it was maybe game five against the Minnesota Timberwolves. But I saw that in that one, he got a clear run to the basket. The defender for Minnesota was in the lane. Clay picked him up after Gary Payton got passed up and then pushed him, you know, with his defense, not physically, but just like veered him away from the basket. And as y'all who've ever played basketball knows like the further out you get that angle on the backboard for the layup gets worse and worse. So that was a good play. And the fact that Gary Payton the second, like recovered and gave help behind clay. I mean, that was huge. And to be honest, I was so amped up myself that I couldn't believe that the game was over once it went off the glass. And then I saw the, the lights go off, heard the buzzer for a split second. I was like, is is there a foul anywhere? (laughs) Is there anything? Uh, But no, no. And I thought that if the game ended with like a foul and ended on free throws or something, or if Clay fouled John Morant and that's how they went out, that would have been brutal, right? That would have just been brutal for the Warriors, for Clay, whatever. Yeah, they would have recovered, but still it would have been just a, a brutal, brutal way to lose. So like now the narrative, the psychology is like Draymond goes out on a BS call and then the Warriors just played their game. Honestly. And one more thing that I don't think anyone's really mentioned on that final play, a small, small detail is that Andrew Wiggins boxed out Brandon Clark on John Morant's missed layup. And maybe or maybe not, there was enough time for Brandon Clark, if he were wide open, to have tipped that ball because it was very, very close. But because Wiggins was in front of him boxing out, Clark didn't even get up off the ground. If it was open, if say Wiggins was like loitering somewhere to the side or out of the lane, then maybe Clark just instinctually jumps up and gets a tap in. But Wiggins put his body there, prevented maybe Clark from even wanting to jump or thinking of jumping and grabbed the rebound and it was over. It's those kinds of details. And it's that kind of effort that we're seeing from Andrew Wiggins, as I talked about before. Like those are the little things. Those are the details that you have to come with, especially when Draymond gets ejected. And even if that play didn't matter, or if it was after the buzzer or whatever, if that rebound was after the buzzer, it's good to see Wiggins playing until the very end, like that effort that we have questioned. I mean, that everybody's questioned throughout his career. So again, love to see that. Now, the Draymond green ejection, man, like what more can be said about this, that hasn't been said, like the whole basketball universe outside of Memphis thinks it was a BS call. And we all know that he's being (laughs) ejected for stuff, for his reputation, for stuff he did. I mean, three years after, literally three years after the last time Draymond was in the playoffs, he's getting booted out of this game for stuff that he built this silly reputation on six years ago right? For stuff he did in the 2016 playoffs, the uh, whatever, kicking Steven Adams or getting suspended by LeBron James and Kiki Vandaway in the finals of 2016, you know? That was nothing. And it's fully up to interpretation, but they almost decided the game by booting Draymond Green. I hope, I hope that the NBA powers that be look at this and at least make it a flagrant one, I think a flagrant one is fine, right? Sure. Yeah. Flagrant one calls are often ticky-tack regardless. So I think that this deserves it. But in the playoffs, that is not a flagrant two ejection. They say, oh, he hit him in the face. Then he grabbed his jersey. (sighs) They hit him in the face. He was going for the ball. You know, they talk about the windup. He reached for the ball and hit his face. Like if you're holding the ball close to your face, that stuff happens. And then the jersey thing, it's like, come on, man. Come on and then brandon clark post game saying that well you know uh i'm not surprised because draymond has that reputation and you know he's uh uh he's done that before and i was like what are you what is this you think you're lebron james are you kiki vandaway like i i just thought that that was like silly as hell game two is gonna be really really interesting because i felt like in this game like i said the warriors came out a little bit out of sync a little bit sluggish and Now that they have one game under their belt, they're in rhythm, they get to the second game, they get Draymond back. What is it going to look like? Who knows? This Memphis team is very confident, and I don't think one game like this will shake them, but a second one will, you know? Real adversity will. They didn't really experience real adversity against the Minnesota Timberwolves, at least not between games, so... Now that they've seen that they are not infallible, that they can't always come back, hopefully the Warriors just don't look at this as like, okay, we got the one, we got home court advantage, let's just take it back to San Francisco. Hopefully they come out in game two, and they're like, no, 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 no. We want more. You know, We really, really want to stick it to this team, to this Grizzlies team. If they can steal two, that's nice. Definitely wouldn't be over yet, but... You know, that would do a lot to just smack some reality into the Grizzlies. The, the refs in this game, they were just, they were terrible. And I think that goes both ways. They were calling it way more for the Grizzlies early in the game. And then they started calling it for the Warriors, which helped the Warriors get back into it. But just like you put that cherry on top of kicking Draymond out in this game, in this kind of game. That's that's ridiculous. You know, you don't decide the game that way. And then there was that Steph Curry drive where they called a charge on Steph when he ran it to Dylan Brooks. And then Steve Kerr and the Warriors challenged that. And it looked like Brooks moved his body to get in front of Steph. And they reviewed it. The refs did. And there were those moments where there are like those shots where they were just like standing the three of them together, one guy had his hand over his mouth so his lips couldn't be read. And it was like, is, is there a call here or what? You know what I mean? Like, why are they huddling up for so dang long? Because I pretty much am guessing, like, they're like, I don't know what the call is. Well, we could either, you know, give Brooks his sixth foul and get him out of the game. Or we could, like, keep him in the game and give Steph his fifth and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't know. These guys just felt like they were not ready for the moment themselves. These refs, they, I mean, I missed Scott Foster. I missed Ed Malloy because at least you know what you're going to get with those dudes. But with these guys, I don't even know. I hope the Warriors, I'm sure they will. If the Warriors continue to play through this series and hopefully knock on wood past this series, I'm sure they will run into this officiating crew or at least a couple of these guys. But I hope we don't see these guys very often because they called a really, really questionable game overall so again hopefully the nba rescinds that flagrant two gives him a flagrant one because you don't want draymond being in that same position as in 2016 of getting like you know a few more flagrants or a couple more flagrant fouls and getting suspended that's not how this should go that was not it Whew. i mean there's so much more that can be said but I'm getting out of breath and I want to turn this episode around and turn this edit around quickly enough. But that was just, that was a crazy game, man. That was a crazy game. And like I said, I'm, I'm tapped, but um, I feel good because that was a damn good win. I let out a huge yell when the final buzzer sounded and it really, really sunk into me that, uh, that this game was, was over at the Warriors had pulled it out. Anyway, that's another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Patrick Epino or at Oakland Warriors. Check us out at OaklandWarriors.com and definitely check out our YouTube channel. The link to that will be in the show notes. Be sure to tell your fellow Warrior fan friends to tune in and listen. The Oakland Warriors podcast is produced by National Film Society and is a part of the Basketball Podcast Network. If you're so inclined, please do give us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And also leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. That would be dope and super helpful. Thanks for listening. That's it. Music in this episode provided by Paper Sun. Special thanks to Paul Amardo for production support. See you next time. And go Dubs.